Uh, my name is Van Cochran. I'm the senior pastor here, and I'm going to introduce our, our guest today. We have uh, Putty Putnam with us, and uh, Putman. I'm sorry, Putty. Uh, Putty Putman, yeah, you can cheer for him now and later. Yeah. Putty is the founder and uh, main teacher and leader of the School of Kingdom Ministry, and uh, we are doing uh, Sockham here at the church. Uh, how many people here are in School of Kingdom Ministry? Okay, awesome, awesome. Next year we'll be doing it again, and I'm sure we'll have uh, twice as many uh, once you start hearing some of the stories and testimonies of how this whole course is impacting our lives and, uh, and really just opening our eyes to, to more and more of who Jesus is and, and who we are and what he wants to do in and through us. Putty is um, at the church in Champaign that Lori and I uh, were at for five years, and so he's kind of like a um, um, a relative. He's gonna he's gonna note that too, maybe later. But uh, Putty, would you like to come on up? I'm gonna come down here to um, introduce him. He's gonna speak from the floor, and I'm gonna pray for him. I want you to pray with me. And what I want to ask you to do is just open your heart to Jesus. Okay, uh, let, let's just pray right now that the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. So, uh, Father, we, we just thank you for Putty. Thank you for the gifts you put in him. And uh, thank you for um, bringing him here today. And I, I pray for anointing on his words just to come out and not just to impact our minds, but to change our hearts. Mm-hmm. And, and would you all just say with me, Holy Spirit, teach me. Holy Spirit, teach me. And I open my heart to you to be taught. Mm-hmm. Open my heart to you to be taught. In Jesus' name, mm-hmm. amen. So let's welcome Putty again, okay? Amen. Awesome to have you here, Putty. Thanks, man. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, now, uh, at, at the church that I come from, we have three services, and the second service on Sunday is the one that I always look forward to because they're the rowdiest. So are you guys rowdy, too? Can I expect that? Is that okay? All right, cool. That's awesome. As, uh, as Van mentioned, um, I'm at a church that uh, they were on staff uh, a while back uh, for five years. And so I feel like we're cousins or something like that. You know, we're not exactly like same nuclear family, but we're related. I've got your quirks, you've got my quirks. And so we just kind of like get each other, right? At least I hope so. That's how I feel. And if you disagree with me, then that's okay. You can do that. Um, but uh, I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Van and Lori, for uh, in- inviting me. It's, it's really an honor to be here. And um, I've been enjoying uh, getting to know you guys a little better. I'm so excited that you guys are jumping on board with School Kingdom Ministry. It's been neat to see the fruit there. Wilson's doing an awesome job taking, taking the hill on that. And, and the rest of you guys are involved. Thanks for everything with that. Um, I want to talk today um, about maybe like probably the closest thing to uh, my, my main message or, or whatever it is. Um, and that is, how I want to talk about Jesus. Can we talk about Jesus? Is that okay with you guys? Okay. I'm really excited about Jesus. Do you have no idea? Cause I haven't even gotten started yet. How excited I am about Jesus. It's amazing. Right. And what I love about Jesus is like, he is simple and he is everything. He really is. He's everything that we need. I think sometimes you make our gospel like too complicated when in reality, Jesus says, Hey man, you want to enter in the kingdom? You do it like an infant. Like infants don't understand complicated stuff. You know what an infant understands? Parent good. <laughs> right? And so I, I think, I think that that's, that's kind of the level of our gospel. Our gospel is kind of like Jesus good, really. And if, if we get that, really, if we really get that and we don't get more than that, then I think we're doing well. 
But what I want to do, I want to start with today is, is I want to start by asking a question that I think we all do well to ponder. Um, and this is, this is um, starting in Romans 1.16. Tech people, I, I just, I'm starting in a completely different place, so just like, good luck. I bless you, and I'll just apologize right now. Okay, um, so Romans 1.16 is, is like a famous verse, particularly like in, if you've uh, you know, spent time in, in the kind of broader evangelical church. Um, I grew up in, uh, in a Baptist church. It wasn't originally Vineyard. I grew up in a, in a Baptist church, and I did. Did anybody else in here do Awana? Okay. Does anybody know what that is, Awana? Okay, a few people, not a ton of people. Awana is this thing where you get all of your kids together in the church building on Wednesday night. You bribe them to memorize verses with candy. And then you make them run around the gym for an hour afterwards before you send them home. Okay. It was the best. Okay. It was awesome. I loved it. It was my favorite. And, and this is one of those verses that I learned in Awana real early on. <clears throat> you might've heard it. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Look at this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, when, when I was first taught that verse, I was, I was kind of like taught it with almost like sort of an expectation behind it. It's like, Hey, look, Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you going to go tell your friends? That, that, that was kind of the way it was presented to me. Like, there was this sort of like guilting, like, hey, you know what? Like, you should not be ashamed of the gospel. So if you're ashamed of the gospel, then you, you got to get fixed. Really? I mean, that's, that's what it was. It wasn't a good thing for me. It wasn't a positive thing for me. Because I grew up in a church where they had to guilt you into evangelism because the gospel wasn't good enough to want to give away. Honestly. And, and, and it was a long time later that I realized that, you know what, like, it, this isn't meant to be a, a, a guilt tactic to get us to share the gospel. What it's meant to be is a diagnostic for ourselves to see whether we understand the gospel. You see, Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power for salvation. And the word that he uses there isn't, isn't salvation meaning go to heaven when you die. It's salvation meaning God like restoring your life to the wholeness that it's supposed to have. It means to be saved and healed and delivered and rescued from the enemy and have all the provision you need and kept safe and sound in times of danger. So Paul says this, I love the gospel. I am not ashamed of it. Why am I not ashamed of it? Because the very news itself changes people and sets them free. So here's my question for you, because I, I I read that. And when that clicked, I had to ask myself, is that my gospel? I mean, in reality, when, when I share someone, what I think is true about the gospel, does even the hearing of it change their life? Is that enough to set them free? Is that enough to alter the course of their life? Because Paul says that's why he's not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel itself, the message has the power in it. The message is the power to heal people. The message is the power to deliver people. The power to set people free. Is that your gospel? Okay. So I, when I looked at myself and I I examined that, I said, you know what? If I'm honest, I don't see that, that fruit. I've been told to say, I see that fruit. But I think what Paul is talking about is something like this, where you share the message with someone and at the end of it, they're like this. Oh my gosh, I'll never be the same. That's the level of power that we're talking about. When the gospel hits you, you know what changes you, not the message. And so my question for you is this, 
Does our gospel that powerful? I think that's why Jesus in Acts 1.8 is about to resurrect and go back to heaven. He says, hey guys, okay, here's the deal. You guys know everything I taught you, but stay here until you're anointed with power by the Holy Spirit. And then you'll be my witnesses. The gospel is not a message that we share. Otherwise, they would have been well qualified to be witnesses without the Holy Spirit. They knew all of Jesus' teaching. They knew it better than you and I do. They spent three years with the dude. So what does he mean when he says, wait here until you're anointed with the Holy Spirit and then you'll be a witness? It means that we bear witness to is a reality, not a message. And until you're able to represent that reality, you can't bear witness to it. We bear witness to a reality of who Jesus is. That's the message of the gospel. It's simple. God, good. God is Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the amazing news. That that God is Jesus. Really. And it's not much more complicated than that. Jesus is everything we need. I don't know if you know that. He's everything we need to know. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, it says. It says he's become to us wisdom and revelation from God. And, and with Jesus and with Christianity, life seems so complicated. Life seems like we need something more than Jesus. And so we're so tempted to look for an answer, a self-help, a solution, a five steps to something, something, something. If we're honest, I, I have that same temptation too. Oh, I'm struggling in this with my friendship. Someone, someone give me the to-do list. Anytime you're looking for the to-do list, you've moved past Jesus. And whatever you're doing is not Christianity. Christianity is about Jesus. Right? Jesus is amazing. And I think that some of the most important things that Jesus does for us is he paints for us a clear picture and puts down some tent pegs for us on things that we, we can resolve in the person of Jesus and never need to revisit. See, the enemy's tactic... In, in life has always been, all the way back to the garden, has always been to let the things around us define the things that already exist in the spiritual realm. I don't know if you know that. His tactic is to get you to form your picture of God based on your parents or your circumstances or what happens to you. That's why something bad happens in our life or we enter a dry season and it feels like, oh my gosh, God, where did you go? What are we doing? Our image of God has changed because our circumstances have changed. And then he adds on top of that another layer of it. And he begins to define us by our mistakes and our failures. And we begin to look at ourselves through the lens of our behavior rather than the lens of what Jesus has done and what Jesus has said. And what Jesus does is he comes and he gives us a picture So that we don't have to look to the stuff on the outside of us anymore. We can look at what's nailed down in this book and be solid on it. Guys, let me tell you something. If you could, by the measure of your circumstances, know who God was, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and show you who God was. So if you're you're looking, oh, I lost my job. God must be frustrated with me. Oh, I'm experiencing tension in my marriage. God must be disappointed. Oh, I'm sick in my body. This or that or whatever. 
If any of that is allowing you to come to the place where now you're seeing God differently through the light of that, then you've missed the point. When Jesus comes, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And all of a sudden, now you're seeing the Father through something else. You're seeing the Father through circumstances. You're seeing the Father through difficulties. You're seeing the Father through history. And Jesus makes it simple. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Really. The other thing we do, if we don't, if we don't understand this, is we, we add to Jesus some sprinklings of things that we don't understand from other parts of the Bible. We look at the Old Testament, say, where God in the Old Testament is not like particularly an exciting guy. He's a little unnerving, right? You read it and you read about like the Israelites and, and somebody sins or blows it or whatever. And like, then they go to battle the next day and thousands of Israelites die. Right? Or how about the time in the, in the, in the, Moses, or in the uh, wilderness when Moses is leading them? They complain a little bit and all of a sudden these serpents come in and poison the whole camp. There's a few bad deals in there, right? And if we're honest, it can be really scary and say, wait a minute, God's doing that? I'm a little uncomfortable. And the salient assumption that we don't realize we're making, but so often do, is this. We say, you know what? I know Jesus is revealed in the New Testament. I know the Gospels are about that. And Paul writes all these letters to help us understand what happened when Jesus died and resurrected. And all of that is good. And that seems to make sense. But this Old Testament thing is confusing. And without thinking about it, what we do is we assume the New Testament is about Jesus and the Old Testament is about God. And so we have a picture of God the Father that's formed by things in the Old Testament that goes counter to what Jesus says about himself when he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Colossians 2.9, it says this, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That means there's no part of God left out of Jesus. You don't need to add anything to Jesus to see the fullness of the Father. And so anything that you do add is probably questionable. If you've got Jesus plus a little bit of anger at you, a little bit of punishment for sin, a little bit of disappointment in who you are, a little bit of whatever, then you don't have the God that Jesus reveals. You have some other God, and I'm not sure who he is. The reality is, sad as it is, most of us think of God more like Santa Claus than Jesus. Let's put a finger on it. It's Christmas season. If you've been good, you're on the good list and you get blessings. And if you get, if you're not been good, you get the spiritual lump of coal. That's what we think if we're honest, but that's not the God that Jesus reveals. And over and over and over in the new Testament, it says, and it makes really clear that we are to think of the father as the person revealed by Jesus and nothing else. For example, Hebrews one, I know we have the slide for this says this. Um, when they get it up, I told them I'm a tech person's nightmare. So let's just have a lot of grace for them. There we go. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Hey, you know what? There's an old Testament and God spoke and that that's real. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He, his son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 
What's he saying? He's saying, look, God spoke and that was good. But in reality, the clear picture came with Jesus. Before Jesus came, there was not clarity on the person of God, the character of God, the heart of God, and how he interacts with humanity. Only when his son comes is the exact imprint of his nature revealed. It's like a picture where there's a background out of focus. And when you have a background out of focus, you can't really tell what's happening. Oh, is that, is that a plant? I can't tell. Is it, is it like a backdrop? Is it, is it, is it a jungle? Is it, what, what's happening? There's something green, but it's fuzzy. I can't really see what it is. And that's what God is like in the Old Testament. Is he in there? Absolutely. But he's out of focus. And so when we take things in the Old Testament and we make them a picture of God, we add to Jesus with them. What we do is we drift away from one of those pegs that Jesus nailed in the ground, which is, this is who the Father is. Before he even goes to the cross, in John 17, he's talking to his disciples, and he says this. This is amazing. He says, God, he's praying. Or sorry, he's not, he was talking to his disciples, now he's praying. He says, God, I thank you that I completed the work you gave me to do. Isn't that amazing? He hasn't died and resurrected yet. That's the work most of us think he was sent to do. And he says, I did it. I completed the work you sent me to do. And then he continues and he says, I have manifested your name to these people. I have, I've run the race. What's the race? I reminded the world what God was like. Because you know what the rest of the world thinks God is like without the person of Jesus? The rest of the world sees God through the lens of the last interaction that Adam and Eve had with God. Because Adam and Eve were the template and we've all been come out of their line as we're born. And what's the last thing that happened with Adam and Eve? They sinned, they blew it, and God had to send them away. And so every single person you meet, I mean, seriously, have you ever found an unbeliever who doesn't feel like I blew it, God is angry with me? Every single one of them does. Because that's the lens through which everybody sees God. And so when Jesus comes, he says, you know what? I manifested your name. I made it clear what you're really like because this world has forgotten that. This world has lost clarity on that. And so when we see these things in the Old Testament, when we see the judgment, when we see the, 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 all of this terrible stuff, we can get confused and we can say, okay, well, I don't really understand that. I know Jesus is like this, but this, where does this fit? And we don't see it through the person of Jesus. We go around Jesus and redefine the Father with it. And that's not the way to do it. You see, everything in the Old Testament is there for a reason, but it's meant to point to the coming Messiah. It's meant to point to the Jesus who is coming. So you read the Old Testament and you're thankful and you're grateful for it. But you always read through the lens of the cross. Otherwise, how do you know that you're not putting yourself under a covenant that you're not in anymore? The Old Testament was another covenant. It was another relationship with God. You're not in that relationship with God. So how do you know that that stuff applies to you? You don't unless you run it through Jesus. Example, all the judgment, all the guilt, all the stuff where God seems like he's like, I'm so angry, I'm so frustrated, I'm going to kill all these people. If we don't see that through Jesus, then we begin to feel like, okay, well, Jesus is good with me, but God is kind of scary. And thank goodness for Jesus, because he's saving me from the scary God. We think that. 
And we have this relationship where it's like, I love Jesus. He's my buddy. But if Jesus were ever to leave, I'd be awful uncomfortable with just his dad in the room. Really? And so emotionally, we tiptoe around God. God's over here and we're like, just don't get too close. He might step on my toes. He might send some, something into my life to teach me a lesson. That's what we think. When in reality, is there a reason the judgment is in there? Absolutely. But you have to ask yourself this question. Where does judgment fit in the person of Jesus? Don't go around Jesus. Where does judgment fit in the person of Jesus? Because there's a place. You know where judgment happens? Happens on the cross. What happens is Jesus becomes the sin bearer for humanity. And all of that stuff that we see in the Old Testament that seems so scary is meant to paint this picture. When God deals with sin, he deals with it so completely and finally that he leaves nothing left. And what that means in the person of Jesus is this. When God put your sin on Jesus and he dealt with Jesus, he dealt with your sin so completely and totally there's nothing left. It's actually a message of hope. It's actually a message of, oh my gosh, God judged the sin right out of me and now it's gone. But we read that message and not stepping through Jesus, we redefine God and we get afraid of him rather than saying, oh my gosh, what kind of father does that? What kind of father is that amazing? It's something we should run towards him if we see what Jesus or what God is really like through the person of Jesus. Guys, Jesus paints it crystal clear. You see this in Matthew 17. There's a story. Oh, mercy. I got to keep moving here. Thank you, God, for grace. Right now, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, there's a story where Jesus takes Peter and James and John, and they go up on the mountain, and there's this event called the Transfiguration, where Jesus begins to glow, and there's like, all, it, it actually says like, his, there were almost like lightning bolts like flying through his clothing, and this kind of crazy event, right? And Moses and Elijah appear, and they start talking with Jesus. And Peter... Like the leader, leader, disciple guy, he, he was a good Hebrew. He knows who these dudes are, right? He grew up reading the old Testament. That was his Bible. So he's seeing Moses and Elijah and he's like, oh my gosh, like this is like Bible stuff. We're in a Bible story right now. That's what he's thinking. So he says, Hey Jesus, what if, what if we built three, three little shelters here? One for them, you know, two for them and one for you. What if we did that? That would be cool. Right? And what's he thinking? He's thinking, oh my gosh, we made it to the Bible stories. Let's celebrate this. But saliently, he doesn't realize what's happening. What's he doing? He's putting Jesus on the same level as the Old Testament. And look at this. God himself steps in. He says, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We heard that part before at the baptism. But then he adds something. Listen to him. 
When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Peter is putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. The same level as law and the prophets. The same level as the Old Testament. And God himself says, Hang on, got to make sure they get this straight. So he comes in a cloud, bright cloud, and he speaks. He says, Hey, you know what? This one's my son. Listen to him. Don't listen to them. And what happens is, oh my gosh, what do they do? They fall on their face. Why? Because seeing God with the law and the prophets is a bad deal. You're going to die. Seriously. So they fall on their face. Oh my gosh, they're terrified. But what happens is Jesus steps forward, revealing exactly the heart that, the God, that God is trying to convey. He steps forward as the new image of God. And he says, hey, get up. There's nothing to be afraid of. In that, we see the father himself saying, listen to my son. Don't redefine me by these people here. There's a new picture of God. And it's not one that you have to fall down and be worried about if you're going to die. There's a new picture of God, and he's a good God. Most of us, if we're honest, have to rethink our picture of God. Most of us, if we're honest, have to say, oh my gosh, I've added stuff to Jesus. What if God is really as good as Jesus depicts? The amazing other side of this is that Jesus not only shows us what God's really like, he actually shows us what we're really like in him. See, the other side of Jesus is not only that he was 100% God, which he was. That's what we celebrate in the incarnation, in the Christmas season. God came and took up one of these. I mean, think about it. I'm, I'm 31. I'm the age that Jesus was when he was ministering. You guys would all think I'm crazy if I was like, hey, guys, I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of God. But we actually believe that there was a guy my age, and that was true. It's crazy, right? So, so this is what we believe. And so when he's talking and revealing himself, he says, I'm the truth, for example. He's saying, I'm the truth about God, but he's also a man. He also reveals the truth about who we are. You see, the thing was, humanity was created in the image of God. Humanity was created to be the original picture of God. Think of a dollar bill. A dollar bill, right, has an image on it. And all of you guys could recognize George Washington because you've seen the dollar bill, but not a one of you have met him. Not a one of you have actually seen him in person. Why? Because the image points to something and you begin to recognize something by seeing the image. That's what you and I were meant to do. We're meant to be an image of God. We're meant to be so that when the world sees us, when the rest of creation sees us, they go, oh my gosh, that's what God's like. I recognize it now because God has been fleshed out. And so when Jesus comes and he says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. What is he doing? He's actually waking up the original call of humanity that was lost way before in the garden. He's saying, you know what? The image of God is now in humanity again. Did it get lost for a long time? Absolutely it did. There was the fall. Humanity got broken. Sin was living in you. You were no longer in the image of God anymore. But now there's a new day dawning. The image of God is being restored. That's what, his, that's what salvation is all about. Don't settle for forgiveness. Forgiveness is awesome and would be enough. Don't get me wrong. But forgiveness is getting out of the old covenant. What's the new one? What's the point? 
What do you get saved to? Not what are you saved from? What do you get saved to? You know what you get saved to? The restoration of the image of God. I started by reading Romans 1, 16 and 17. You remember the second part? It says, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. You know that weird big word righteousness means? It's like one of these religious words that, that we can get confused about. Here's what righteousness means. It's really simple. It means put together right, not put together wrong. And so when it says the righteousness of God is revealed... In the gospel, it means this. When the gospel comes to you and you receive it, the broken you gets fixed and you're put together to be what you were supposed to be in the first place all over again. The image of God that was lost when sin was in you, now the sin gets judged right out of you and the image of God is restored. That's why it says, man, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All of that stuff that was broken, that was twisted, that was not who you were supposed to be, is dead. Boom! Buried in the tomb with Jesus. That's why Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. See, the unbelievable truth is you were so united with Jesus that when he hung on the cross, you did. Do you know that? And everything that you don't like about yourself, everything that's not who you're supposed to be, everything that you look in the mirror and you feel disappointment about, hung on the cross with Jesus and died. But then, three days later, Jesus resurrected to new life. And Paul says the death he died, he died to sin. But the life he lives, he lives to God. He's not thinking about sin anymore. You know what he's thinking about? I beat sin. Now I get to live with God. And the next verse says this. So also, you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. As much as Jesus died, the old broken twisted you died. Do you know that? Do you know that either Jesus died all the way and every single sin is forgiven and the, the broken part of you, the sin that lived in you is completely removed or Jesus didn't die, none of your sins are forgiven and you're still who you were. Those are your two options. Take your pick. I'm going with that one over there. That sounds like good news. This doesn't sound like any news at all. Now what does that mean? Here's what it means. Guys, you are not probably who you think you are. And you are certainly not who the world tells you are. Guys, if you've been born again, if you've been made a new creation, if you've been put in God's family line, we talk about this language. We say, we talk about the language of sons and daughters, but what we really think in our mind is it's like these people that have pets and treat them like their kids. You know, and I get that. I did that before I had kids too. I'm not like, it's awesome. I love pets, right? But, but we, we say, oh, well, that dog isn't really their kid. And they kind of treat it like a kid, but it's not really like that. And we think I'm the dog that, oh, fortunately, God gets to treat me like a kid. And yet in the Bible, it says this. When Jesus was claiming to be a son of God, the Pharisees wanted to kill him. Because calling himself a son, he made himself equal with God. If that's what the Bible means by son and daughter, why do we see this huge gap between us and God when it seems like God sees his likeness? It seems like God sees us as fitting in the family line. That's why Jesus was the firstborn of many brothers. And when we see ourselves and we go, I'm nothing like God, I'm a disappointment. God's so amazing and I'm such a loser. 
we're trampling on what Jesus did. You're saying, you know what? I define myself God, and you might think I'm awesome, but you're wrong because I'm terrible. That's actually what we do. Is that humility? Is that giving God glory? It's not. You know what's giving God glory? God, I don't see that in me. I don't see myself as fitting in your family line. That doesn't make any sense to me. But if that's what you say, you're God, I'm not. You're the creator, I'm the created. I submit to you. If you think I'm amazing, then Jesus, okay. I didn't make myself amazing. I know that didn't happen. But you know what? If you made me amazing, who am I to say you're wrong, God? Who am I to say I'm a loser if you think I'm worth the blood of your son? Who who am I to say I'm a disappointment if you've been thinking about me since before I was born? See, we catch all of the things. All these messages come to us and we listen to all of this stuff here and we miss what's happened here. Guys, the price on your life has been paid and has been demonstrated. God knew exactly what he was getting when he offered his son's life for you and he thought it was worth it. God doesn't make mistakes. He's not not like, oh man, I thought I was getting a better deal. (laughs) I promise. And if he thinks you're worth it, you see, here's another thing. If he thinks you're worth it, I, I gotta, I gotta, oh, I'm not too much. Okay, we're good, we're good. Here's the thing. If he thinks you're worth it and you don't, Change your mind. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Change your mind. (laughs) Like, I understand that there's a message you've been hearing over and over and over and over and over again. He gave you this book because this book doesn't change. The rest of your life might. But you know what? Your worth was demonstrated at Calvary. You measure the worth of something based on the cost that you'll pay for it. Right? I wouldn't buy a 60 inch plasma TV for a million dollars. I might buy one for a thousand. Right? And so it's not worth a million dollars to me, it's worth a thousand dollars. So how much is a TV worth? A thousand dollars, not a million. You and I have been bought. The value on our life has been demonstrated. It's no longer up for grabs. It's no longer something that you have to earn or something you have to keep. You don't have to perform. You don't have to demonstrate. You don't have to bring something and earn your place. Jesus earned your place. Jesus demonstrated. And whenever the question floats in our mind, we would do well to look back and say, you know what? God paid a price for my life. It was called the blood of his son. That's the highest price that exists in the universe. Try and find something worth more. And God says, that's your value. And we go, oh, I don't know, I don't know. God says, that's your value, that's your value, that's your value. Guys, that's what you are. He made you righteous. He put the broken you right. And he comes to live inside of you, just like he lived in the person of Jesus. That's our commission, to be the image of God all over again. That's why at the end of the time with his disciples in John 20, 21, he looks at him and he says, as the father sent me, now I send you. I was sent to be the image of God. I was sent to say, as the father sent me, or I was sent to be able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Now I send you. Now it's your job to be able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. That's why we're the body of Christ. It's not a metaphor. It's literal. Where is he? He's still on this earth. He went back up to heaven, but he's still here. He dwells in your heart through faith. You are literally his body now. 
And so he breathes on them and he says, you know what? I was God here manifesting in flesh. And now he breathes on them, receive the Holy Spirit. You get to be the body. Here comes the God. It's amazing. This is the reality that he's opened up for us. Guys, Jesus is unbelievable. We don't need anything more than this. This is good news. I can see right now on your faces and in your hearts that this message is powering you. You're not leaving here the same. It's too late. You got too close. The gospel is changing you right here, right now. Jesus is amazing. He's all we need to know. God, I thank you for this unbelievable reality. God, this good news that is so good, it seriously requires major faith to believe this, God. I thank you for that. I thank you. You have demonstrated yourself to be so good a God that we get to spend the rest of our lives catching up with how good you actually are. And God, you have demonstrated yourself so powerful that we get to spend the rest of our lives discovering who we actually are in you. God, that's amazing. That's unbelievable. I thank you for meeting us here. I thank you for the spirit of truth, bearing witness to truth, God, renewing our minds and growing us up into the new man who's meant to be a bride that matches your son. Jesus, I thank you for that. Let us be faithful to everything you bought because that's how you get glory. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, amen.